I'm going to share my screen because I've got lots of pictures for you today. We are in John chapter 13 verses 1 to 11 where Jesus washes feet. Something I think that, um, well I have but I'm sure we've all been really missing through this pandemic are those special times of celebration, celebration times, gathering together. When our Celeste finished year 12 last year, we couldn't have the usual graduation parties, but instead the school made a video of the students graduating at school and then they uploaded it to YouTube and we were encouraged to watch it as a family. Now, we could have just hung out in our pajamas and eaten popcorn in front of the TV, but instead we decided to have a real celebration. So we tidied up, we uh, prepared special food, and we all got showered and dressed. And we took some photos. They scrubbed up well, didn't they? I want you to imagine for a moment uh, the excitement and the preparation of the disciples before their gathering uh, in this passage today. I reckon they would have been in really good spirits because we see in verse 1 it was just before the Passover festival. And that's that annual Jewish festival celebrating the story of the Exodus where God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. It was a really big deal. And this is the third Passover meal that we see in John's Gospel. You might remember back in chapter 2, the first one, where Jesus goes into the temple and he's utterly outraged that people have turned it into a marketplace instead of worshipping God. And he said, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. Already at that first Passover, he was talking about his own body and the way that he would die. And then in chapter 6, we see the next one. And at that Passover time, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the desert just like the Israelites experienced God providing the manna in the desert after he had rescued them from Egypt. And the people could see then that Jesus was bringing in a new era of God's favour and provision. And so here we are now in chapter 13 and we have the third Passover with Jesus and his disciples. And they're a pretty well established band now and the future is looking bright. Jesus has told them that his hour has come for him to be glorified. And so the disciples are excited. They're looking forward to seeing how God's promises would be fulfilled in Jesus. So I think they would have washed and dressed and gotten ready and headed off in high spirits to that room where the feast had been laid. Now, um, there's this Last Supper meal uh, has captured the imagination of lots of artists over the centuries. And I've got a couple for you today. This is probably one of the most famous. This is Da Vinci's Last Supper. And honestly, it probably looked nothing like this. It's not just the clothes and that decor or the fact that it looks like to me that they're sitting at trestle tables. Uh, it is just that layout of the meal. Uh, it's from a totally different era. It probably would have looked more like this one. Uh, a table with three sides and the guests sort of lying down, reclining on their sides. Uh, you can see maybe the one in white over to one side. I think that's supposed to be Jesus, the special guest. And then opposite him down on the ground is the bowl of water and the towel for washing feet. And that's because you can see from this 
depiction that your feet were on display. I love how big the feet are in this picture and how they're sticking out for all to see. And even though you might have washed and dressed before the gathering, you would have been walking on dusty, unsealed roads of Jerusalem to get to your place of meeting. And so you needed to wash your feet again. Well, now what about Jesus? I want you to think about Jesus. How would he have been preparing for this night? Washing, dressing, sure, but also thinking, how am I going to help my friends understand everything that's about to happen? Because the disciples have no idea what it's going to look like for Jesus to rebuild Israel, to pour out God's provision and favour on them, and to be glorified as king. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows everything that's going on. I wonder if you noticed that as Sasha read, how many times John says Jesus knew. The first thing is that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This was going to be his last Passover. He would die on the cross within a week and then rise and ascend to his Father in heaven. In verse 3, John says that Jesus knew that God the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that his death would fulfill God's plan and that he would rule over everything, over all people. Despite the suffering that was coming, he knew that he was still in control. And in that same verse, we read that he knew he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus has this huge perspective on things. He knows that his human life on earth was just a small part of his existence, of his story. And John in chapter 1, when he came to understand it, he writes that Jesus was there in the beginning, involved in the creation of the universe, that he'd come into the world in human flesh, full of grace and truth to secure his people forever. Well, Jesus knew this and he knew that he would leave the world once he had finished his work and go to be with his heavenly father again. But even so, having this enormous perspective, he also knew the small details. We might even say in this passage that the devil is in the details because Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that this private final gathering with his friends at Passover was now really complicated with the presence of an enemy in the middle of it. So what would Jesus do? It's like a puzzle. He has this knowledge. How will he act? What fits here? Perhaps knowing his own power, Jesus should confront Judas at the door and expose him to the others and not let him eat with them. Or maybe, knowing that everything is still in God's control, Jesus should just let things unfold and not say much at all, protect himself. I mean, the disciples will figure it out eventually, won't they? Or maybe, knowing that he would soon suffer and die, Jesus should just kick back and enjoy himself this one last night with his friends. But he doesn't do that. What he does seems actually very unexpected. 
it's not about protecting his own interests. It's about caring for his friends. And we see that right in verse 1 it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now this um, painting, I love this one. It's um, probably got quite a few inaccuracies. We could do a kind of spot the difference between the text and the painting. But the thing I love in here is the reaction of the disciples to Jesus. Because what Jesus does in verse 4 it says is he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is Jesus doing? Why would their honoured teacher be washing their feet? And the one in the painting that Van Buren has um, painted is Peter, who's having his feet washed, or Jesus is trying to wash his feet. And um, John records in verse 8 that, Jesus, that Peter says to Jesus, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And this is the key verse for us today. I want us to hear Jesus say to you and to me, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. Actually really serious words, but I want us to hear them as an invitation to respond to Jesus and actually receive what he came to offer us. But in order to do that, we actually need to understand what the washing is all about. First of all, the washing was of feet was the work of a servant. And I think that probably will make sense when you think about how gross it would be to actually have to wash everyone's feet who's been walking on the dirty road. And this is why Peter's objecting to Jesus, isn't it? For Jesus to do this to him is unthinkable. Peter esteems Jesus so highly. He knows he's special. He knows he's sent from God. And I think part of that is too that Peter probably wants to impress Jesus. We see that. Peter's constantly trying to get Jesus' attention and impress him. He's probably thinking, I don't want you to touch my feet. Let me do it myself. Or why can't we just leave it this one time if there's no servant to do it for us? But Jesus wants his disciples to understand that in order to lead them and to rule them, he will have to serve them. If they're going to continue on with him, they need to accept him as a servant king, as a humble leader who does for his people what they cannot do for themselves. And this is how we are meant to accept Jesus as well, because we have a spiritual need that only he can remedy. And so that's the second thing we want to say about washing, that it's symbolic. It's just a picture to explain our spiritual needs. And that might sound kind of obvious too, but it was even more obvious to these guys. It's only just back in chapter 11, verse 55, that we see the Pharisees looking for Jesus at the temple. They're hunting for him, they want to arrest him. And what's going on, we're told, just as a detail, is that they're at the ceremonial cleansing at the temple before Passover, in preparation for Passover. These people washed as, to get ready for Passover as a symbol of being washed on the inside, of having God's pure heart in them, of getting rid of the selfishness and the wrongdoing that separates them from God. 
It's a way of becoming presentable to God. And so washing on the outside represents what's happening on the inside. And we have this symbol too, don't we, in baptism. So by washing their feet, Jesus is saying, look, in the end, only I can make you truly spiritually clean and right before God. You can't do it for yourself and it can't be ignored or left undone. Well then, Lord, Peter says, not just my feet, but my, ha- my hands and head also. This is classic Peter, isn't it? Over responding in the other direction. It's great. He's not too proud, actually. He's all in with Jesus. And so Jesus, in that moment, does what any great teacher would do. And we've got some great teachers in our church. What do you do when this kind of something comes out at you out of left field? He takes the opportunity to make something of Peter's over-the-top response to help them understand something more. Now, I don't know if any of you have been watching MasterChef. It's just finished in the last week. But one of the things that happens in that show is that the contestants are told to hero one ingredient in their cook. And this year they had a vegetable challenge and they lifted the lid off their cloches and they were given one vegetable each. So can you imagine you are given a beetroot and you have to hero it? So what they do is they say, I'm going to do this, hero this beetroot in three ways. First of all, I'm going to make a juice and then I'm going to make a pickle and then to finish up, I'm going to give you a loving, beautiful, refreshing beetroot ice cream. And when Peter says to Jesus, wash all of me, Jesus changes things up and he applies the foot washing image in three ways. So first of all, what he's already been talking about is this once and for all washing. He wants them to remember this foot washing after he dies on the cross. He wants them to connect the two and understand that if they trust in his death, they will be clean and at peace with God forever. In verse 10, he replies to Peter, he says, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. He's saying, once you've said yes to me, once you've accepted my service, my work on the cross will be effective for you. You will be right with God once and for all. You'll be scrubbed up and ready for life with God now and into eternity. But when Jesus takes the second turn, he talks about the foot washing as a symbol of the ongoing washing of our hearts. Not through symbolic rituals at the temple, but by the real transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Now we can rest in the knowledge that we are clean before God, but as we continue to live in this world, we still need to pay attention to to our lives and to allowing Jesus to transform us by his Holy Spirit, to make us more mature in our faith, to make us more like him. We are clean, but as the image goes, we still need to wash our dusty feet regularly. Or maybe at the moment, you could think about it as when you go out and you have to sanitize your hands every time you go into another room, another place. It's a bit like that. You are clean, but your hands are what are touching the surfaces. The feet are what are walking on the ground. 
the New Testament writers go on and write about this once and for all cleansing, the first kind, as our justification and then the ongoing work of the Spirit as our sanctification. And Paul ties the two together in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Jesus saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Well, the third way that Jesus applies foot washing comes after verse 11. And we haven't read that bit. We're going to read it next week and we're going to think about it. But that is, he then turns the image to the disciples and says, you who have been washed cleaned by me will now wash one another's feet. So we'll think about that next week. The question for us today is, do you want to be part of Jesus? Not just are we interested in Jesus or like what he has to say or are you a fan of Jesus, but do you want to be part of him? Do you want to be joined to him and his serving, saving work for you on the cross? If yes, then you need to let Jesus wash you. It doesn't matter if you're young or old or if you've been around church for a short time or a long time. It's never too early or too late. It doesn't matter if you see your sin clearly or if you think it's not so bad. What actually matters is that Jesus is saying here, it will not be enough. He must wash us if we are to be with him. So we need to admit our need to ourselves and to God that like everyone else, we struggle with sin and we need it to be dealt with by him. Next, we need to ask for help because Jesus is waiting to wash us, to forgive us and restore us. And then thirdly, we need to receive his grace. Because having loved his people from the beginning, Jesus will continue to love us to the end. And as soon as you've humbled yourself before Jesus, he will lift you up. So I want to say, if you're thinking about this, don't delay. Don't wait until you think you're in a better position to be a Christian or to follow Jesus. Don't try and fix yourself up. Just come as you are and he will freely wash your sins away forever. Now, if you've already said yes to Jesus, then you don't need to do it again. When I was a teenager, I was constantly going up the front of the rallies and becoming a Christian again. You only need to do it once. But the thing is, once you've done it, you may still be aware that you continue to fall short of Jesus' perfection. In fact, if you do belong to him, you may become more sensitive to this and more aware. I want to say to you, don't despair. For you, what you need to do is actually let Jesus come up close to you. I don't know if you've ever um, watched a small child learning to play hide and seek. What they do is they just cover their eyes because they figure if they can't see you, you can't see them. And in a strange way, I think we're often like this with God and with Jesus. It's not easy to let Jesus come up close, but I want to say to you, he does see you. Even when we are ignoring him, he's looking at us. And what he sees and knows is that we still struggle to love him above all else. He sees 
that we are still suffering in an aching world and he wants to comfort us. He sees that we still have doubts and he wants to reassure us. He sees that we still persist in sin and he longs to forgive us and renew us. Well, you may feel guilty. You may be guilty of some wrongdoing or ignoring God for a time. We are all like that. But the answer is not to hide away, but to turn to him and receive grace and forgiveness again. And I want to say that we need this daily. And if you're someone who, like me at times, is easily burdened by a sense of shame or feelings of worthlessness, I want to be really clear here that that is not how Jesus sees you. And it's not how the Heavenly Father sees you. They look at us in love. So when you feel like that or if you ever feel burdened by shame, I want you to take your eyes off yourself and look to the cross. See that it has been nailed up there with Jesus and it's been dealt with once and for all. Remember that you are precious in his sight. Jesus wants to love you and serve you every day. Well, if you don't know how to get started with inviting Jesus to come close to you, I want to suggest uh, practicing a prayer called the Examine Prayer. And I think lockdown's a good time to start praying this kind of prayer and starting a practice if you don't already do this. The Examine Prayer is an ancient prayer that people pray before they go to sleep at night. And what you do is you rest quietly in God's presence. You invite Jesus near and pay attention to him. And then you ask him to be gracious to you as you look back on your day. Notice with him all the things and ways that he has cared for you in the day, the little graces along the way. Look too at the moments that could have gone differently. You might need to ask for forgiveness for things that have happened. You might need to receive his grace in that moment. Then ask him to give you good sleep and know that he watches over you and will be with you tomorrow. And if you did this every night, you would be asking Jesus to wash your feet every day and remembering that he has washed you clean once and for all, forever. Friends, let's continue to remember that this Jesus in the story is the one that's inviting us to be part of him. The one who loves his friends to the end, the one who got down on his knees and washed their feet and then got up on the cross to purify us forever and set us free. Amen.